now I've got to put my conceited intro. Surely you should be able to pronounce that of all that. Sitting down with Rex Afriazi. Afra Siabi. But I'm sitting down with Rex. Yeah, how do you put it? Huh? Afra Siabi. Put it high next to the A and the S. I'm ready. Sitting down with Rex Afrasiabi today. He's a lawyer, specializes in commercial law. What other law do you specialize in, Rex? Ah, uh, litigation. I love court work. Awesome. Love that. And he's also the co-host of his own show, which is called Real Estate Renovators. And Entrepreneur. Fantastic. Rex, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sitting down with us. He's got a wealth of knowledge and it's impressed me. So let's get started. Rex, how did your journey start? Um, in general, the law world. Have you always been a lawyer for the last 10, 15 years? Where did you come no, from? No, where did I come from? I came from my mum and dad. Oh, uh, yes. no, no. Um, I started law straight from university. When I talked about my childhood was a little bit misguided. I went mm. to three different high schools and was a little bit naughty growing Were you born here or did you come as a refugee? Okay, didn't come as a refugee. We migrated here. Um, but I was born in Iran, came here when I was six. Um, and okay. yeah, been here since. You know. So you came here when you were six, and what made you want to get into law? Was it the family or was it yourself? Uh, being Persian, I'm sure you relate to this, a lot of Persians are doctors, a lot of exactly. my friends are in the medical field, so as part of my rebellion, I suppose, growing up, I thought I'd be a, a lawyer instead. Hmm. Awesome. Now, Rex, a lot of people in the business world um, have got a mission or a why. As a lawyer and as someone who started a podcast, do you have a particular why for why you started your podcast or why you're in law? Is it more financial or is there more involved to it? Uh, look, I do have a why. And um, if you know, if you do any Googling on my name, there's a lot of articles about my why. Uh, my why is honestly literally is to help people because when you help people, there's nothing more rewarding. Um, finances, making money and stuff is great, but you know, at some stage, you want a number of cars or boats or whatever right. case you have. So you need something further to push you to make you want to do, go that extra mile. So my why has always been to help people and law is honestly the most rewarding aspect of that. Is there any aspects of um, law that you find difficult or Lawyers on the other side, uh, it's a very, you know, short man syndrome yes. profession sometimes, but everyone likes to huff and puff and, yeah. I, I don't find it frustrating, it's just okay. amusing. And sometimes clients, clients can be the oh, I can well. imagine, totally. Now, for those people who are considering getting into law, what advice do you have, Rex? What makes a good lawyer? Broad experience. Um, if you can know your client's business better than they know their business, cool. uh, it makes you a great lawyer. So, as a lawyer, especially if you're me. There's different aspects of law, but as a commercial lawyer, I've got a lot of commercial interests and ventures outside my, mm. my law uh, firm, I suppose. Um, and with that, those aspects of my business yeah. life, it helps me understand clients' businesses better than theirs. So are you saying be a broad lawyer with a little bit of knowledge about all industries rather than niching down? No, uh, it's really important to niche down and know an industry, but understand businesses, understand the ins and outs of businesses, mm. understand how to read a uh, financial statement or you know how to do tax returns understand the business and what's okay. important to them, what, what the importance of cash flow is yes. and the like because just having the knowledge without that experience or gets you nowhere yeah i believe that rex not many lawyers have started a podcast channel what made you want to start the podcast channels tell us more uh my podcast uh, 
shows. I'm a co-host on two. So one's called Real Estate Renovators. Uh, it was like a COVID thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's really based to, in the real estate industry. Okay. We talk to some of the best, we believe anyway, mm -hmm. uh, greatest people in real estate. Mm -hmm. So I've got head of franchisors, leading teachers, and I'm like, um, and the other shows, leading entrepreneurs around Australia who've got multi-million dollar businesses and like. Um, I personally found that it's great knowledge for myself. I learn so much from my guests. So, um, and I've been fortunate enough to be on a number of podcasts as well as a guest. So, there's always something I can learn from. It. So it's pretty much for your self growth, meeting people and learning new things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly why I do podcast. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. Now, Mindset 2.0, we like to interview interesting people, knowledgeable people, but we also like to find out about their mindset, how they get up in the morning, how they overcame depression, what their morning routines look like, what their self-talk looks like. Rex, have you ever been through a time of depression? Depression? Probably not, mm -hmm. um, but I'm big on my own mindset. So I have a lot of challenges, a lot of mm -hmm. goals each year in all aspects mm -hmm. of my life. Please tell us more. Um, what I was talking about earlier yes. off camera was my physical challenges, I suppose. Oh. So each year at the start of the year, my new resolutions, I set up a um, number of different challenges, but one is, of course, a physical challenge. So last year was a professional boxing fight. Went through the whole training yes. camps, had the fight at Melbourne Pavilion, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, tore a bicep off the yeah. bone, had an operation afterwards, but won the fight. Yeah. Uh, this year's a bodybuilding contest. Nice. So at the moment, I'm training two times a day at least, um, eating seven meals a day, really well calorie balanced and Good. stuff. But just And why do you think that's important? Going through any of these challenges personally, the journey through the challenge really mm -hmm. teaches you. So in a boxing challenge, uh, you know, when you're doing five rounds, 100 burpees, another Jeez. five rounds, 100 burpees, like you, you learn how much you can push your Got body um, and you come so much mentally stronger going through that. Um, going through my current challenge with the, um, the eating and the dieting mm -hmm. and the training, it just, you learn how easy your body is to manipulate in terms of fat muscle percentages mm -hmm. and stuff. And you realize how one meal can make the big difference in terms of, you know, measurements or something like that. Um, it's really interesting to, like, I love going through these different journeys. The two um, sandwiches I had in bed at midnight last night definitely made a difference to my measurements. This <laughs> I understand what you mean. The key takeaway from what you said, um, I feel as though when we do set physical challenges, challenges in general for ourselves, they can definitely increase our confidence and give us a why, a reason, a purpose. For those of us who struggle with, you know, getting bored, you could be you could be having millions, but you're out of things to do. So let's set some goals this year. I think it's also just to add to that as well. I think yeah. it also helps with having something to do and making yourself accountable. So everyone in my yes. social circles knows I'm going to do this bodybuilding contest. So if I, I I can't miss a training session because come October I'm going to jump jump on stage and I have to do that. When it was a boxing fight, everyone knows. So it makes you more accountable to say, I'm going to get into shape or I'm going to do this. You know, having that, make, putting yourself out there makes you socially accountable, which sure. gives you extra drive. Exactly. What advice do you have for young people right now who don't know what to do, or even our own age, they want to leave the job they're in, they want to start a new industry, but they don't know what to do and they don't have a why or a mission or, you know, going through mental health issues. Do you have any big brother advice for them? Uh, find your why. Find what motivates you, pushes you. Not in terms of you should never look for something that's monetary and achievable. It should be ongoing and more. It should invoke emotions mm -hmm. uh if your why doesn't invoke emotions um i don't think it's long lasting mm -hmm. you see a lot of people say i want to do this because i want you know a certain car or a certain house or whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. what happens when you get there 
or certain numbers in your backyard. What happens when you get there? You lose that drive. And I see it in business world where a lot of people are really successful and then they fall off. Not fall off a bridge, but they, yeah. they they lose that motivational drive because they've achieved their why, but mm-hmm. close to their why, and their why wasn't the powerful why. It wasn't powerful enough. Definitely. Um, and um, I'm going to ask you a question that you might not have the answer to. But if, what if someone can't recognize what they're passionate about? Look, whether it's eating, for example. Eating is their passion. Uh, if I know why they're eating, so normally people that have eating as a passion, there's a reason for it. It's the comfort factor probably or something like that. So it's not easy to find your why. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's if anything, if you put it out there and look for it, you will find it. Okay. So be patient, guys. And I think Rex kind of went down the avenue of self-growth and self-healing. Um, and I think my advice to know we're all about self-growth and self-healing. If you really don't know what you're passionate about, then you might want to do some deep, deep dive searching, right? Go within. Now, let's get into business. So Rex does a lot of business laws, has, business law, has a lot of clients. Um, and today we're going to talk about one first question. How would you ideally set up an e-commerce business? How do we isolate our risks? Yes. So e-commerce business. We have a lot of e-commerce clients. Uh, it's a really great business. It's great. It's like the, the cost of getting is so low. The rewards can be so high. We've got certain clients have gone international, um, and then they're turning to retailers. Yes. Also, some of our clients have gone started of e-commerce, got a really big name, um, probably household name, some of them, um, and now then convert to retail, I suppose. What they should, what a lot of e-commerce businesses lack, though, is initially they don't spend enough time setting up their own structures properly. So a lot of e-commerce businesses start off with a business name mm-hmm. or with self-trader. Mm-hmm. So they just put their own name on things and say, I'm just going to, I own all of this. The problem with that, if something goes wrong, you're also liable for everything. Mm-hmm. So 90% of businesses do fail. And it's important to remember that. So if you set up a company, it will cost you, if you go to ASIC website, it will cost you $500 straight to ASIC. And that's just set up a company name? Set up a company. A company is a separate legal entity. So it can sue, it can sue, it's, it can sue, and it can be sued. So it's separate to the to the owners. Love that. It's separate completely. So if something goes wrong with the company, you just shut down the company. It doesn't affect anything with your own personal name. If the debts are too high, you just shut it down. Mm. Um, that would, could save a lot of people a lot of money. Okay, um, so step number one, register yourself as a company. Don't start as a solopreneur. A tr- no, sole trader. Sole trader, don't start as a sole trader. Set up a company. Um, if you want, you can also do a trust and that's a little bit more complicated, depends mm-hmm. on the, um, on your income. What are the benefits of a trust, Rex? Uh, benefit of a trust is income distribution. So with a company, you pay 27% tax straight from, from every dollar. First dollar you make, you pay $27, 27 cents mm-hmm. tax from day one. Uh, with a trust, you distribute the beneficiaries, the beneficiaries pay tax at their individual tax rate. So in the first five to $7,000 tax-free, it slowly goes up. The more added benefit of a trust and what a lot of people mm-hmm. would set up a trust, depends on the business, I suppose, but for, even for e-commerce, is capital gains tax. So if you sell anything, you have to pay capital gains tax on any gain you make. Mm-hmm. By having a trust, the ATO, the Australian Taxation Office, gives you a 50% tax discount by just having a trust. Um, so I'm feeling as though a trust is way more beneficial in terms of... Yeah? It can be if okay. your plan is to sell down the line. Okay. Why do you think, and this is seriously for all the startups and the younger entrepreneurs, um, what do you think the benefit of having that selling mindset down the line is? 
I think everyone that starts any business should have an exit strategy. You're not going to run this forever. And at some stage, to make it go to that next level, you're going to have to introduce partners or introduce um, some wealth into it to mm. push it to the next level or sell the whole thing completely. Very interesting. Um, and because this is a new concept to me, once again, the selling, um, having the view to sell long term goes hand in hand with setting up a trust. Is that correct? It is. Fantastic. Yes. All right, cool. Trademark and copyright, what's the difference? Please walk us through both. Uh, big difference. Mm -hmm. uh, trademarks are registered. Uh, really, again, something that we see a lot of e-commerce business fail to do. So e-commerce, they set up a, their own, what they should be doing is set up their own brand. Mm -hmm. So it's their own recognized label, um, logo, whatever the case may be. What they fail to do is protect it or make sure that they can even have it. So we've had clients who've gone in really big and some of them have gone international without doing a trademark of your logo yeah. uh, or your brand. So you might have to change that now as well. So we're going through the process of fighting it. You might have to change his logo? He might have to change his wow. name. Oh, and his name too. His okay. whole name, um, which we're wow. hoping that's not the case, but we're going through. It, it's a lot more costly to do it later than is at the start. And if you, if you know you can't have that name, you just use a different name at the outset. Um, just because a name's great and catchy, if you can't use it, you're going to be forced to change it down the line. A great example, and uh, I was telling you earlier, mm -hmm. but um, Subi, K-Subi used to be called T-Subi, mm. and they didn't trademark it, it became international. Um, and then a company in New York had the name, so they had to give part of their world with millions of dollars to this company because they had the net and then changed their whole name worldwide from a T-S-U-B-I to K-S-U-B-I. Did they still thrive or did they lose? They lost a lot of wow. market share and they lost, they lost millions as well. So important to get to whatever brand you're going to go with, make sure it's available and where you can lodge your trademark for it. Again, it's not a costly process to lodge a trademark. Um, so it's worthwhile getting that protection from the outside. What do you trademark? Your company logo or name or both? Uh, look, you try to do as much as possible, but costs, you know, there's a, there's a fee per class. There's 45 different classes of trademarks. Um, so every class you go for, you pay a fee on it. And every if you have two logos, uh, a name and a logo, then you pay per class, per logo. So the easiest way would be just to do just your logo that incorporates your name, and that way, at least you get some level of protection. If you look at McDonald's, they've got Big Mac trademark, mm -hmm. and then every um, thing under the sun trademark. But mm -hmm. you may want to start with some protection, but then no protection. So Rex, are you saying that if, for example, my startup brand, Pink and Savage, if I've got a um, logo with a pink background and I've got a logo with a black background, they should both be trademarked? No. Okay. So with trademarks, I'd also, also recommend doing them in black and white. If, um, okay. Because if you do it in black and white, it incorporates colors. Cool. Or if you go to challenges. Smart. If you do it just in a, um, a pink, if someone changes the color schemes on it, you may have an issue enforcing it. So, so trademark black and white. For if you're gonna, yeah, if you're going to do it, or trademarks, mm -hmm. if you're just going to lodge one trademark because of costs, do it in black and white. Okay, what if you've got no cost restrictions and you want to trademark your logo? What would that look like? Uh, I would do as broad as possible, not just your logo, but if you've got key items or key terms that you use oh. within your business, trademark them. Again, the example would be, um, the Big Mac, McDonald's trademark, mm. the word Big Mac being one of their members. Mm. Okay, fantastic. Now, for business owners that have the word and in their name, such as mine, Pink and Savage, someone asked me, 
do you want to trademark the and as an A-N-D or an and? Does that make a difference? Uh, it doesn't make a difference. It depends on your Google logo. So you want to trademark whatever your logo is mm. um, or incorporate both. So have it and in the logo and then underneath it have it with an A-N-D. Okay, sure. We'll um, talk about that a little bit later. Um, this might sound like a repetitive question, but sometimes those of us who are new to law, we need to keep asking the same question in different ways. How do you protect yourself if your goal as an e-commerce business is to grow worldwide one day? Easy. So when you, if you register a trademark in Victoria, in Australia, you're part of the, a convention where you can transfer that logo to, or that trademark to anywhere in the world. Okay. Um, and from the date you transfer, from the date you register in Australia, mm -hmm. you pay, once you get it accepted in the different country, it's the same date as it was registered here. So we're actually doing that for multiple e-commerce brands right now yeah. who have gone global. Is that an extra fee to do well? It's a lot extra um, because each country has their own fee. So do you think that should be essential for e-commerce brands who are starting from the bottom and selling worldwide from the get-go? No. Okay. No, um, depends on where your key market is. Mm. Uh, I will protect it here. Okay. Um, trademarks in Australia are relatively cheap compared to other parts of the world. Um, so depends on your key market areas are. Mm -hmm. So if it's if you're started here but you're mainly selling in Europe, you can get a uh, trademark over the whole Europe. If it's just London, you can just do London. So if you're starting here but selling in the US, definitely. Uh, just do US here and US potentially. Would you consider this as absolutely essential for a startup? I would say doing it here is essential for mm -hmm. a startup, just to make sure you can. That's the biggest issue because if you, and this is where we've seen a lot of issues where um, you've, people have started for logo, grown it, got a really good traction, good marketing, good everything, good press on it even, mm -hmm. but they didn't protect it and then they might need to change it. Jeez, okay, cool. What advice do you have, Rex, for people who are going to business with business partners? Oh, this is really important. And this is where all fights happen and disputes, and this is where I love to spend a lot of my time in litigation files, is have yourself yeah. your partnership agreement. It's a company, it's called the shareholders agreement, if it's a unit trust, a unit holders agreement. Whatever that structure is, effectively have your partnership, your rule book how you two will operate your business. What if someone wants to sell out? What if someone's not operating? What if someone dies? What if someone goes through a divorce? How are decisions made? How are profits distributed? There's so much that should go into a detailed partnership agreement. And hopefully, once all of that's fleshed out, you just sit there and collect stuff. At least, and both parties know where they stand at any one time. The biggest issue I find is not bad intentions, um, but misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. They thought, hey, there's, you know, a million dollars in the account, I'm 50%, I'm going to go take half a million dollars out. May not be the case. If you have a distribution policy in place, you can say, no, distribution's done monthly or quarterly, or, and you've got to retain X dollars mm -hmm. in the account, or whatever the case may be. So there's a lot that should go into your rule book, your partnership agreement, to govern that relationship. Otherwise, you're more likely than not, you're going to lead into a dispute. What are the top three things that you see go wrong between business partners? Misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. Predominant misunderstandings. Um, and that could be from profit to decisions to growth to setting up competing businesses if there's no restraint. So, you know, when you go through that whole process of getting your partnership agreement, all of these questions are asked. Our meetings with the, with the business partners goes for a couple of hours mm -hmm. and we ask them really serious questions. Such um, as? You know, what if... You go, what if one party goes for a divorce and mm -hmm. the other party is dragging him through, you know, mm -hmm. auditing of accounts mm -hmm. and stuff? Can you force them out and buy them out? Love that. 
um, and you know, is it done as a discounted price because you put you through something? So, you know, decision making, how decisions made, like is it if it's 50-50, there should be a tiered approach or a mechanism in place if you can't reach agreement, or even a shotgun clause where you know you can force them to sell their interest, mm. uh, or you can. So the shotgun is basically we're not getting along. I'm gonna, I'll buy you out for. A, Hundred thousand dollars. If if you say no, you buy me out for hundred thousand dollars. Puts it on the table, finishes the dispute. A lot of complexity there. But it seems like it's absolutely absolutely necessary if you're going to go into business with a partner because we don't know what's what can happen down the track. Yeah, and it just also clears any misunderstandings and it salvages the relationship moving forward. A lot of people get into business relationships with people they know and they trust. Yeah. Um, but they don't <clears throat> they, they don't haven't they haven't thought this through or discussed it through. So it's important to get it right. For sure. Okay, thank God I'm not going to business with any partners. So if I do, I'll be doing that. Um, Rex, I read an article where you were talking about rogue in protecting yourself against rogue employees. What does that mean? Can you give us some information, please? Uh, rogue employees, um, we have a lot of this as well. Uh, employees taking your data, mm. taking your customers, yes. setting up a competing Email business. list. Email list, customer list. Um, you know, we see a lot of real estate offices mm-hmm. um, taking vendors and landlords for property management mm-hmm. and, um, and making sure their employment agreement has enough mechanisms in place to protect the employer. Mm-hmm. The, the, the rules of court and uh, are very strict on this. Mm-hmm. They don't want people not to work. So they sit against public policy for me to say, you can't work after you leave me as a lawyer for five years within 10 kilometers. That, that, that won't stand up in court because the court say, you're a lawyer, you need to work and earn an income. So the restraints need to be reasonable to protect the employer. For, for a law firm's point of view, it would be like, you can't contact my clients or work for my clients for a period of time. That's reasonable and that's agreed upon. The second part to that, and this is where a lot of employment mm-hmm. agreements fall short, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is there's one thing saying you breached it, and this is a breach, and you can prove that, and it's reasonable, and it stands up in court. The second part to that is proving how much it lost you in damages and how much you can sue them for. Now, if you don't, normally you'd have to get expert evidence or accountants to say this much revenue was lost, or whatever the case is. What we like to put in our employment agreements and what I would recommend is an agreed damages. The employer and the employee agree that if I take a customer, I agree to pay X percentage of the fees or because that's how much the company or the firm would have made. Okay. Um, what are a couple of examples or one example of a business that you dealt with where this happened and how did it look? It happens all the time. Give us an example. Um, so. We do a lot of work in real estate offices, and it's very common in real estate offices where an employee employee leaves Mm -hmm. uh, and then takes listings from um, their previous employer, uh, as well as property management files from their previous employer. It's very common, unfortunately. And how do you go about as a lawyer to deal with this? Um, Unfortunately, we didn't prepare the employment contracts. Um, They've come to us to fix it, I suppose. Uh, And we've got at any one time, five plus court cases mm. happening um, on this very topic. How can um, real estate a- real estate agency owners protect themselves from the get-go? Uh, get your employment contract done properly. Mm-hmm. Cool. Have, See a lawyer, sit down, do it. Yeah, do it properly. Yeah. Not, and don't ever accept if someone says, I want to do a restraint of X years for X kilometers. That's not going to stand mm-hmm. up. 
uh, and having a great damages clause in there too. So even if you can prove the damage, yeah. then you know exactly what, what it is, not then go prove how much you've lost business. Sure. Um, I've got a, another question. Um, so how can we better protect ourselves against poor service deliverability or product deliverability? For example, there's many times that I've hired graphic designers um, or people online and their service was shocking and I didn't protect myself and I lost, lost, lost. Any advice? Uh, your agreement. The, whatever you agree to engaging with, that should have the turnaround and the KPIs in there of their deliverables. Even when dealing on Upwork like many freelancers, Upwork and freelance, I don't think that holds. It will hold. You can add clauses to it. So okay. when you go to engage them, um, different platforms are different things, mm -hmm. but before you engage yourself, I need you to agree to these terms mm -hmm. and these deliverables will be can't work. Okay. And then what would you do? Upload the contractual agreement to the platform? Yep. Interesting. That's a really good advice. Thank you. What about poor products? You order something from a manufacturer, the quality is absolutely shocking. Once again, does that apply, what you mentioned? It does apply, and that's yeah. more common than not. And unfortunately, what we see a lot of is a sample will come, and the yeah. sample is brilliant. Uh, but then when you order the stock, it's not the mm -hmm. same. Uh, and making sure you're protecting yourself in those regards. Um, the problem with that is enforcing it depends on which country you do. China. Yeah. Indonesia. What happens? It's more difficult than not to enforce it. Um, so most of these countries have um, come a fair, fair way to do better product delivery. Mm -hmm. um, but going off someone reputable and having clauses. In the reputable. Country. That really cares about relationships and where you can potentially pay, pay milestones, right? Yeah. And I'll find that most of the time yeah. when you put a contract in front of them, they don't want to sign it. And that rings alarm bells. Mm -hmm. So that should always ring an alarm bell if they don't want to sign the contract. They don't want to sign it. This is not what we do. This is not how we do it. This is not what we've ever, we've ever signed before, etc., etc. All the excuses under the sun. You can talk within, okay? If you can't make those deliverables, what can you and what are you guaranteed to? Mm -hmm. um, a better way to guarantee, it's a bit more hard to do, is mm -hmm. have a trust arrangement where you put the money in. And we, we've done this for larger. Quantities okay. of purchase and stuff where there's a service agreement mm -hmm. and the money is put in escrow, um, and it's not released like until um, it's confirmed. The escrow is great, Alibaba does that. Um, there's a few other places to, that do that. So, escrow agreements anything else I'm missing out on here? Mm. Find a reputable company, yeah. Find and, a reputable company is really important, cool. um, because and trial them out, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Wow. I know delivering that's a great point, right there, yeah. Because you get a sample, you go, Great, I'm gonna now spend all the money I have on all that <laughs> stock, and then it doesn't go. Good. So, for all the startups watching this, um, I decided to go with one American manufacturer, I created over 80 designs for Pink and Savage. I got ready to launch, run paid ads. Then I realized, shit, when the product came. Um, the quality was really poor, there was no web on labels, the leggings were shocking, and I had to delete all my stuff and start again. So if I had put my eggs in multiple baskets and done multiple samples, I would have had a bit more luck right there. Yep. Well done, that was fantastic. Cool. Um, this is a personal question that I have. So for those in the fashion industry, when we want to design t-shirts and we want to do something, for example, like the image of Kate Moss on a t-shirt, apparently that's illegal. Mm -hmm. But so many brands are doing it, or so many little e-commerce businesses are doing it online. Is that illegal? What's mm -hmm. going on? We can't just add a filter and distort the image? Problem is, it's not the 
you don't have to copyright to it. Whoever took the photo of Kate Moss has the copyright to it. So by you doing it, the person who took the photo can come and say, hey, you didn't pay, pay me royalties for that. Mm. Um, I want some money. So a lot of companies do it because there's mm. so many pictures of certain people out there that they'll figure they're not going to get sued yes. or you know, they're not big enough to. So don't use an image of Kylie Jenner. Don't do that. You might run into potential legal. Potentially. So the whoever took the photo has the copyright to it. If you've mm -hmm. taken the photo, you can use that photo. So if I take a photo of you, I'm not a teacher today. Not sure you're selling it, but yes. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, carry on. Yeah. Um, so the copyright is that's the issue. So if, yeah. um, so it's not about Kate Moss necessarily agreeing to it. It's about the person who took the but Rex, if someone took a photo of me and put it on a t-shirt, and if I didn't like it, I would not be comfortable with that. What would I have to do about that? Uh, I would never like that. They took the photo. You shouldn't have allowed the photo. Me, my appearance and my face. They should But look at paparazzi and what they do. Um, I feel sorry for celebrities. That's horrible. Thank God I'm not a celebrity. Yes. Yet. Yeah, thank you. No, but that's not one of my goals. I, I never want fame, guys. Not one of my goals. Um, cool. Now. Who are, top, who are um, three of your top inspirations, authors, bloggers, people online that really motivate you? Tony Robbins. Wow. Everyone likes Tony Robbins. Yes. Like, you know, he just captivating. I've seen him a couple of times live. Uh, if anyone gets a chance to go see Tony Robbins live in any of his million and one different yes. things, go do it. It's really recommended. Uh, prepare to jump around and You've seen him? Yourself. Yeah. Love that. Um, Does he really shift your mindset and energy when you go see him? Definitely shifts your energy. Uh, he literally makes you. I've done it in person. I've done it by. Um, I've done it, I think they now do it on a Zoom kind of two day, three day conference. Sure. But you know, it starts at nine and finishes at sometimes nine p.m. It's, sure. Yeah, Isn't it true that the motivation eventually goes away after these kind of seminars? I think motivation depends on the individual. Yeah. Okay. You can't. If you're looking for someone to give you motivation, uh, you need to look within before yeah. you look external. Someone can push you to refocus, but I don't think you should be looking for someone to motivate you. So these are just tools and resources, you know, gain knowledge from them, but then motivation comes from within guys. I think that I use my, I use even Elon Musk. I like, uh, I've got motivation now. Sometimes, like even in the mornings, like um, there's some motivation app. I forgot the name of it, but it's on my phone. But so when I wake up at six ten, um, I have to get up at bed to about six thirty. So okay. I. Go to my phone, play one of the well motivation speeches, just to get me help push me out of bed. By the time I get out of bed, I'm a bit more motivated. To prime yourself, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what I use it more to prime myself than actually change my mindset. My motivation is always set myself. That just six o'clock in the morning helps me give that push. Do you meditate in the morning or any time during the day? I don't. Wow, cool. But you're still thriving, which is great to know. Yeah. I visualize stuff. I do a lot of visualization, but I don't see visualization as meditation. Cool. You do visualization. Do you I have do. a vision board? Uh, I don't. I used to have a vision board many, 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 many mm. years ago. I don't anymore. I love hearing that because um, what I'm trying to come across with my entrepreneur is to find out how various people get motivation, how various people build a business and succeed. And as you can see, one person over here doesn't have a vision board, whereas our last guest does. So it's not a be all and end all. I don't think it is. Uh, and what can you put on your vision board? Like, you I don't know the few things I had on my vision board, I was fortunate enough to be able to get. And I don't, I'm fortunate that I don't, I don't have Love anything that. I want anymore. So, Love that. Um, so, yeah. Good on you. Um, second inspirational person that you can think of that, you, that you'd encourage other people to check out. 
inspirational and motivational. Elon Musk. I'm Why? a big Elon Musk fan. Just the way he's done and gone about and the risk he takes in yeah. how he operates businesses. Um, he's insp- I mean, he's the richest man alive. Mm. They've been nearly bankrupt so many times as well. So, What's yeah. your opinion of him wanting to buy Twitter? He bought it. Oh, wow. Stop. Do you know that? Yep. Do you know why he bought Twitter? Uh, to open free speech. Open free speech. Interesting. I really hope and hope he does open free speech. I'm sure he will. God, he spent $41, million for $41 billion for something. Cool. Um, do you define Elon Musk as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. For some of you, you might think that's a silly question, but there was a backstory to it. Yeah. Third inspirational motiva- motivation person at any stage in your life or author that you loved or a book that you loved. Uh, oh, David Goggins. Yes, he's awesome. He's awesome. He's awesome. You. And I've read or listened to his book. His audio book is better than his reading book because he yes. does like a uh, almost a podcast with him. Cool. Yeah, David Goggins is cool. He's a bit of a machine. He's out there every day. Mm-hmm. I hope he's also enjoying life. I don't know if he is. No, nah, it's been really Yeah, cool. I think he's just gone through too much trauma. Oh, sure. Really I'm glad we agree on that. Enjoying actual life. Now, I know I'm putting you on the spot. Any last tips for any people starting an e-commerce brand or a business today besides for the things that we covered? Or are we good to go? <sighs> Look, you're never good to go. It's always good to... You know what? Mm-hmm. For all your... Viewers, if everyone contacts you, drops your name, happy to have an initial, no obligation, completely complimentary, uh, and completely confidential mm-hmm. discussion from because then every business is different and yeah. depends on what they're doing. Uh, just having a second sounding board to go over some of the stuff, it might be a good idea. From all the e-commerce businesses that you've seen succeed, and you can't mention names, the ones that are making millions have gone worldwide, do they have one thing in common or not necessarily? Is it design? Is it product? What is it? Uh, the owners. Really? Yeah. So, you know, some of our bigger clients have failed multiple times. Love to hear that. Um, and just never quit. Just keep going. Um, Good. Yeah. Guys, that was extremely hopeful and optimistic. So don't give up because you're failing. Don't think that your first um, hustle is going to be the most successful one. Let's just keep going. Now, I'm going to drop Rex's social media accounts um, downstairs, down in the comments, sorry. Yeah. Guys, thank you, Rex. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I hope that we do more of these in the future. Guys, follow Rex. Tune into his podcast. Do you have YouTube yet? Uh, We do have all those shows on YouTube as well. Love that. Bye. That was perfect, Rex. Thank you.